Hello there, and welcome to the SLP Now podcast, where we share practical therapy tips and ideas for busy speech-language pathologists. Grab your favorite beverage and sit back as we dive into this week's episode. Hello there, and welcome to the SLP Now podcast. I am so excited to be introducing Kristen Bowers today. She is an ASHA certified speech language pathologist. Uh, She graduated from the University of Pittsburgh in 2007, and she graduated in 2010 with a master's in speech language pathology as well. So Kristen has utilized her skills as a speech language pathologist abroad, including her participation in the Bosnia Autism Project in 2012. I wish we had time to dive into this more because that sounds super interesting. Um, But she is here today to talk about data collection. Um, We've been getting a lot of questions on this topic lately, and I thought she would be the perfect person to break this down with us. Um, And just a little bit more background, she has experience in early intervention, working with three through five-year-olds. She's also worked in private practice, and she currently works in the schools, and she um, serves K through kindergarten through fifth grade students. Um, and she's also the owner of Kiwi Speech, um, and she creates amazing materials for speech and speech language pathologists. Um, and she also has some amazing resources for um, clinicians in private practice. Um, but without further ado, let's dive into all things data collection. Hi, Kristen. Hi, how are you? Amazing. Um, <laughs> we were talking about this before we went live, but I feel like such a nerd when it comes to this topic, and I'm like genuinely excited. <laughs> I to totally agree. I I definitely geek out over <laughs> the data, the data, and and um, yeah, helping people do it more effectively because I just think it. I don't know. It it doesn't need to be as complicated as we all make it. So hopefully, hopefully we can simplify it a little bit. Yeah, I totally agree. And I wish I had you to talk to when I was first starting out because I felt like I tried about 5 million different tools and strategies and just all the things to try and get a hold of my data collection. Like I had these super elaborate systems with like uh, labels and I was printing things all the time and it was just kind of messy. Um, and so I'm really excited to hear, maybe you have had some of that experience too. Or <laughs> I mean, you, are, you you, are you even an SLP if you have not like <laughs> already tried all the things? Um, no, I mean, of course I have. Uh, I wished I, I had wish I had had the things I know now when I was, when I was there too. I mean, even a few years ago, I wish I had it figured out like not that I have it figured out now, but I think I have a much clearer picture for myself now. And I found a system that has worked for me consistently over the last probably three years. I've used the exact same system, right? And that's when you know you figured it out for yourself because usually at the end of every year you think, oh, next year this is okay, but next year I'm gonna do like that a little bit differently or that a little differently. And when you come back and you're like, nope, I'm gonna stick with it, you know, okay, I'm on to something. That is amazing. Like I used to switch things like on a monthly basis. Mm -hmm. I was like, I had a caseload in the triple digits at one point and I was just drowning and I felt like it was so hard and that there had to be an easier way. Um, So yeah, I was, 
I probably made it much harder for myself. <laughs> yeah, I think I think we all do. Um, but can you give us like a little bit of a tour in terms of like the different systems that you have tried and maybe just tell us a little bit about kind of why you switched and you don't if your list is as long as mine just highlighting like a few yeah (laughs) yeah you know I think more than anything when I before I did data the way I do it now I think I just really didn't have a consistent system and it just made it really hard to write a progress report and compare apples to apples because you'd collect data on something one day you collect data something on another day and you just really went to write that progress report and you're like, all right, well, I can see that they're doing R in the initial position of words independently at 20%. Oh, wait, that was back in November. You know, let me see where they're at now. Oh, I haven't collected data on that recently. So you didn't really feel like you had anything to report in your progress reports or whatever was current was, you know, it was just all over the place. And I felt like I was just mentally trying to pull all this information together. And I knew I needed it to be laid out for me. So um, yeah, I had tried collecting data, even just with my data sheets. I'd have a data sheet per kid or I'd have a data sheet per day or, you know, I mean, I had data sheets changing every year. So now I do my data logistically. I collect daily data and I have data sheets that are by group. Um, And so I just pull out the group's data sheet and um, I collect daily data on that. And then... um, Three times a year, I collect more what I consider my progress monitoring data. So I kind of have my daily data, and then I have these three overarching data collection systems. And between the two of them, I find it really easy to write a progress report. All the data is like right in front of me now. And um, hopefully I never go back because it's working out much better. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. Um, And I definitely went through all the different types of data collection sheets too, like the um, by individual student and by day and by group. And by um, post-its. Like I did the post-it system yes. for a little while or the labels. That was a good one for a while. Um, yeah, I've tried them all. Yeah, I did. I tried setting up Google Forms and I printed like QR codes yes. for every oh, student. And <laughs> then their links went break. Marisha, why am I not surprised that you, <laughs> you make QR codes? Yes, it was like, it was super exciting. Like I was, I thought it would work really well and I thought it would be fun to like involve the kids in their process, but it's just like Google Forms wasn't meant to help us manage our caseload. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's definitely issues with using Google Forms as well. So um, yeah, it just gets messy. <laughs> yep. I totally agree. Um, okay. So I'm – but. If you are listening and you are an SLP who has tried a lot of different things, you're definitely not alone. Um, so hopefully that helps you feel that way. And Kristen, you told us a little bit about like how you currently use group data sheets and you do daily data and then you do your, you said three times a year? Yeah, that's, that just, we've sent out progress reports just in my district. Um, we send them out mid-year and then at the end of the year. So I try to do a big data collection probe in one of my first sessions um, for all my kids. And then again, I do it in the middle of the year and then at the end of the year. So if, if nothing else, like if all my data through the rest of the year, you know, turned out really poorly or I wasn't on, you know, whatever. I always have these like three really excellent data points to run back on. So I tend to use those for 
like we use rubric based progress reports. So, you know, we can check kind of zero to 50%, 50 to 75%, that kind of thing. Um, and I use the, the progress monitoring data to do those, but then I tend to use the daily data to do more anecdotal stuff or make more subjective comments. So I might be able to say, you know, they produced R in the initial position of word completely, words completely independently, uh, 30% of the time. However, you know, when they're in a session with me and I'm giving them feedback on productions or some visual cues, they're actually able to do it 80% of the time, that sort of thing. So I usually read through those progress reports to give that kind of more subjective, um, descriptive data that I think resonates with, with the parents when they're reading the reports. Yeah, that's super helpful. Um, and so we're definitely going to dive into more of the logistics for uh, both of those in just a little bit. Um, but I'm curious if you have any suggestions for SLPs who are struggling with data collection, like they're hopping from system to system. Um, like what suggestions would you give them to work towards a system that is sustainable and that you can stick with for three years and not have to change? So I, mean, I think there's probably a million systems out there that could work for you depending on you know your style. But if I could give one bit of advice, it would be to separate your therapy from your data collection. So if you're collecting data and you're finding that you are playing a large role in that moment, right, you really have your therapist hat on, then to me, that is just not the greatest time to be collecting data. So I think it's really important to conceptualize you're either giving therapy or you're measuring progress, right? Because you're not supposed to be measuring yourself, right? We're not there to collect data on how great of a therapist you are in that moment. We want to know how the child's performing. So when I do my data, whether it's the daily data or um, the more progress monitoring data that's intermittent throughout the year, and like you said, we'll go into that. But in both situations, I'm really never collecting data at the same time that I'm giving therapy. I'm either doing one or the other. And just conceptually separating out those two things to me will change the way you collect data, no matter how you record it, right? Or what sheet, if you use the labels or you use the post-its, it really doesn't matter. But being able to separate those out would be like my number one takeaway um, from this podcast or from when I presented that to me is like the one point is just really learn to, to think it's okay that you're not collecting data in a moment if you're giving therapy and it's okay to not give therapy in a moment when you're collecting data. Yeah, that's perfect. Um, and is there anything else that you want to share before we dive into more of the logistics in terms of broad suggestions? Maybe just that sitting down and, and coming up with a plan um, can, can really make a difference. And it doesn't mean you have to sit down for a whole day and come up with an elaborate plan, but just taking a minute before a session to think, okay, what am I going to collect data on today? Um, and it, for me at the beginning of the year, taking a moment to say, all right, what am I going to work on probably in this whole semester? I need to make sure I collect data on that now so I can show their progress. So a little bit of planning goes a long way. Um, and again, just keep it simple. It's, it doesn't need to be super complicated. I promise. Ooh, I love that. <laughs> Have a plan and keep it simple um, because you probably don't want to be like me during my CF where I was juggling all of these QR codes, <laughs> making it way, way, way too complicated. Um, and then I would also, I love how you said that we want to know what we're going to measure. Um, I think this is one that 
like I definitely like I definitely agree with what you said about um, separating therapy from data collection. Like that's what I've landed on as well. Um, and then the next important thing is like knowing how we're going to measure what we need to measure. So whenever I write a goal for a student, like um, when we update an IEP, I make sure that I have like that I really know how I'm going to measure that goal. And I have like I just make sure I have a sheet like this is the probe that I'm going to use for that goal. And then it makes it really easy because then all you need to do is have time to collect that. Absolutely. Um, so I think those are like if you only listen to part of the podcast, <laughs> hopefully that helps get you started. Um, but let's talk a little bit more about your daily data collection. What does that look like today? So yeah, so when I say daily data collection, I mean, I collect data on most days. There are definitely days that I'm so involved with what we're doing that I maybe don't. Um, but most days I collect data. And to me, the, the main thing is that more data points doesn't mean better therapy or better, better data for that monitor that, um, oh gosh, I just drew a blank. Anyway, <laughs> more data, more data points doesn't mean better therapy. And it definitely doesn't mean better data either. So, you know, if you think about, if you were to collect data on the first 10 productions a child makes, and they were 50%, if you were to continue to collect data over 20 data points or 50 data points or a hundred or a thousand, right? The more data you're getting over a session, you're really just diluting that in, that initial number, right? Because assuming you're a good SLP and you're helping them improve their production of their sound over the course of a session, the longer you collect data, the closer it's going to get to 80, 90%. So all you're doing is take, taking out the sensitivity of that number you're reporting. And it's going to be really difficult for you to show progress or change over time. So I really just stick with 10 data points typically. So kids will come in, I might have a therapy activity ready to go. And my therapy activity does not necessarily, it's not necessarily the exact same thing I'm collecting data on, right? It's okay to collect data um, on a skill in a slightly different way than you're teaching it. Um, I always think about teachers who give a spelling test. They do a pretest at the beginning of the week, right? And they have the kids spell the words and they don't help them or give them clues. They just say the words and kids write them down. And then they probably do the same thing at the end of the week, right? They say the words, they're not giving clues, they're not helping them, they're not giving feedback, right? They're just measuring. But in between, they're using all sorts of brilliant strategies to teach those spelling words, right? They don't just continue to administer that same test over and over and over. So that's how I like to think of my, my daily data is I do this little probe at the beginning to, to see how they are, right? To see what they remembered from last time. And then I can spend the rest of the session teaching it in whatever way that I feel is best. And that's where our professional expertise comes in, right? Anyone can collect data, but only, you know, we are the people who are trained to give the therapy. So they come in. I collect 10 data points and it's usually as independent as possible. I might flip them 10 flashcards. I might run through if There's like, if we're doing some sort of worksheet. I might run through the words on there and I really don't give them any feedback about it. I'm just measuring. And then we jump into the therapy, but that data takes me, you know, 30 seconds per kid at the beginning of a session. So it really doesn't suck up a lot of time. And it's really nice data that I can compare from one day to another. Awesome. 
Um, and then I did, I have a couple of questions that always come up when I talk about this too. Um, but why do you choose to take data at the beginning of the session? <laughs> you know, it's really funny that question. When I was in grad school, we did a like a big project, and part of it was sort of asking us to look at a case and ask how we would ideally collect data, right? Or how we would turn it into almost like a single case study. And I had given an example, which was similar to this. Now that I think about it, it kind of came full circle, but they asked me the same question. Why are you collecting data in the beginning? <laughs> and my answer is the same now. It, I don't think it really matters if you collect it at the beginning or at the end as long as you're being consistent with it. Because obviously how a child is performing when they walk out of my speech room is very different than how they perform when they walk in. And we all know that's the case, right? We've all got kids that walk in, aren't using their sound. By the end of your session, they use it 100% of the time and then they walk out into the hallway and don't use it again. So I think as long as you're consistent, it really doesn't matter. I collected at the beginning because I think that that's a better representation of probably how they're using it outside my speech room. And at the end of the day, that's what I care about. There are definitely kids who walk through that threshold and see me and turn on those sounds, but a lot of them are not necessarily thinking about it until we kind of get into our direct activity. So I collect at the beginning because I just think it's more representative of what they're doing independently. But I think if you're consistent, you can make either one work. Yeah. And I am... I agree that consistency and you get to use your clinical judgment. You get to decide how to run <laughs> your your caseload and your data and all of that. Um, but I think starting at the beginning makes sense because it also – I also think about it as – because if it's at the end, I feel like it's a measure of how well I'm doing. Absolutely. Coming in fresh. Um, and then – it's also helpful for me to know where they're starting mm -hmm. because I feel like if a if we're working on K um, and I give the student 10 initial K words and they're at 20% accuracy, that's going to – like I will prepare and make sure I do like some initial teaching or just make sure I queue up my visual strategies or whatever type of queuing I want to use with that student. Versus if they get 80% accuracy, I would approach things a lot differently. Like I might jump to the next level. That would drastically change what that therapy session looks like. Um, and granted, we can get that information as we dive into the therapy activity too. Um, but I think this just helps me be more prepared and just use my time a little bit more efficiently. No, I totally agree. And um, I supervise some grad students for um, one of the local universities. And one that's kind of one of the things that comes up that we score them on is, you know, are they using session data to guide clinical decisions? And that's exactly it, right? Like if we collect data at that first session and they're at 90%, I want to see my students you know, changing the complexity of what they're giving them or making it a little bit harder somehow and challenging them versus if they come in and they're 0% in that initial data probe. Um, I want to see it right. Like you said, doing some initial teaching or using some new strategies or, you know, prefacing the lesson with, with something that's going to help them. So I totally agree. Yeah. I, I love that you have that experience too. Um, cause you work at, is it a university too? No. Uh, so the, I, um, I supervise students from the University of Pittsburgh um, that is really local. Um, so one of the schools I work at is like on a university campus, um, but um, no, I don't work at a university. 
But you get to supervise. Yes, I do. So yeah, it's nice. They um they send the students out. Um, so all their placements are out in the community. They don't have an in-house clinic. Um, so they're they're with us getting, you know, really hands-on knowledge and skills and being taught kind of by a variety of people out in the field. So I think that's a real um a real strength to the program. Yeah, that's amazing. I love that. Um and then oh, I was going to ask something else about data at the beginning of the session, but it's escaping me. So we'll just have to come back to it. Um, And then one question, another question that comes up a lot is how you get through your probes quickly, because you said it takes you 30 seconds. Um, Like when, because I talk about this strategy too, about just collecting those quick probes at the beginning. Um, And every time I talk about it, people ask like, how do you get through it quickly? So I'm curious what you say to that. Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) I I guess part of me is I you just keep it simple. And like I said, I try to keep these probes as independent as possible. So, you know, with some of the younger students, I may be giving them a model. Um, and this isn't an exaggerated model that has sort of built-in cues to help them. It's literally just I'm providing them with the stimulus. Um, but I don't give them during this data collection, I really don't often give them feedback even. I just want to know how they're doing on those words. So um it's just a quick, um, Mandy from Panda Speech, it's just quick data sampling. That's what she calls it, data sampling. And yeah, I mean, that's what it is. Boom, boom, boom. I go through 10 words. I often don't tell them yes, no, you know, oh, can you fix that or try it this way? I'm literally just measuring. So it takes them exactly as long as it takes them to say 10 words and really no, not a lot more. Um, I also save time just by sticking. Typically, I use whatever we're going to do for that activity that day. I, I use the stimulus items straight from there. Um, so, you know, I'm not shuffling around other things. And when all else fails, I have a word list and I just go down a word list. Um, yeah. So I keep it really, really simple. And I keep myself out of it um, a lot, which saves a lot of time, right? And when I'm not talking, <laughs> it saves everybody a lot of time. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Um, yeah. And then if you have your, like, cause you use the strategy of using the treatment activity. So you have that on the table already, so you can just run through it super quickly and that makes sense. Um, and then I do like, I think this is where our approach is just a little bit different and it's a, that's a cool part of this because like you said, there's not one, there's so many ways we could set this up and it really just depends on our style and our caseload and just all the millions of factors that play into all of that. Um, but I like to use like a set, um, a set number, like a, a set probe for the different goals. And so I just have those ready to go. I like, I have a really, um, simple, but like very intentional system on how I keep those organized so I can quickly pull up, uh, whichever probe I need. Um, so that's been, super fun too. But whether you're using the therapy activity or some probe that you already have prepped, just being prepared for the session makes it really, really simple to run through that. Yeah, I totally agree. And I I love that idea. Um, I do have a set set of probes that I use for the intermittent progress monitoring that I'm doing a little bit less frequently. Those are always the Mm -hmm. same words and they're ready to go, but I do mix it up um, throughout the week. I kind of like it because you know how every now and then you come across a word that for whatever reason is really tricky for them. And yeah. I feel like sometimes when you're mixing up the the stimuli between between sessions, you kind of come across this little subset of words that you're like, wow, they really 
struggle with that context for some reason. So I do love that about it. But um, yeah, as you said, either way works. And I love your organization. <laughs> I am definitely an organization nerd. So <laughs> I'll talk about that all day long. Uh, and then, uh, yeah. And one thing that I remembered what I wanted to circle back to, um, like I, I use this when especially as a newer clinician when I wasn't feeling as confident um, in terms of like taking data at the beginning of the session because I feel like data is like it's like data is power and if we know exactly where the student is it sets us up that much to be that much more successful and I feel like it helps us um, we can approach the session just a little bit more confidently absolutely absolutely. And, and even if you end up taking data at the end of the session, like having that information is, I mean, it's what enables us to provide amazing therapy because we're able to adjust and all of that. So um, I think it's a great confidence tool. So Absolutely. I just wanted to share, like, <laughs> it's funny, like I definitely took more data on the weeks where I was feeling like, I don't know what I'm doing. And then I'd have the data and be like, oh, you're all right. Yep. I, I totally agree. Every now and then it's really nice. Like I'll, especially if we've had a week off, like where I haven't seen a child and I kind of, I'm lesson planning in the morning and running through my lessons. And I'm like, man, and I, sometimes I'm able to just look back at the last session and it's just like given to me, you know, like I, I, even with very few notes from a quantity standpoint, I'm able to look at it and be like, oh, I know exactly what we're doing today. And it's just really nice to have that. Yeah. That's amazing. Uh, so speaking of that, like, how do you keep it organized? How do you organize all that data so that it is easy to go back to? Like you mentioned the group data sheets. Yeah. So it takes a little bit of work and this would be the one thing I, I don't like about it, but to me, it's well worth it. And again, knowing that I've stuck with the system now for a few years tells me it is, is, um, during the first few sessions of the year, I actually do just collect data on like a blank piece of paper and save it because I like my data organized by group. Um, so each group has like a packet of data sheets and I can usually fit, I don't know, depending on the size of the group, like if it's a three child group, I can usually fit like three weeks on one side of the paper. And it literally just has the date on the left side for that day. And then it has each child's name. And then each child kind of has two lines. The first has one line that's split into uh, 10 boxes for my 10 data points. And then there's a blank line where I could write some notes. And then there's a little space down the bottom where I could write additional notes. So, you know, we're talking like a three inch section for an entire group for the week. Um, so the reason I said in the beginning, I collect on a blank sheet of paper is, you know, at the beginning of the year, it just takes you a while to get those groups ironed out and kids are moving from this group to that. And the times are changing. But once I feel like I've got them, I, I do sit down, I take a day to, to make these data sheets and I make them on my computer. So all their names are like typed on there. Um, and then I just use that same sheet throughout the year. So like I said, I mean, I can probably get three weeks on a, on a page, so it's not a ton of papers. And, and during a single session, I'm never flipping between pages, right? Like all the kids are, are there in one section on one page. And, um, yeah, I, I mean, I absolutely loved it. I resisted doing that for a while because I didn't want to take the time up front to set it up. And then I also had this you know, thought that I needed all these data sheets filed in each kid's individual file. But when it came down to it, like, I just don't think I, I need that. <laughs> so like, no one ever, you know, no one ever said I did. And I, I just, 
you know, I finally just did it. I said, if I absolutely needed it, I could copy them and black out the other kids or something, but that has never happened. And having them organized by group to me is a hundred percent the way to go. Flipping through pages is, is definitely not me. So, um, so that's what I do for my daily data. And then for my um, progress monitoring, I have these big data sheets. Um, it is one, like eight and a half by 11 page. Now it is jam packed with a grid, but I use that one side of one sheet for an entire year for one sound. So um, it typically has, I think, 10, 10 words for each. So say, yeah, say I'm doing S and Z, right? Those will all be on one page and it'll have 10 words for each of those sounds in the initial, medial, and final positions um, and enough space for me to collect it three times. So I can use literally one side of one piece of paper for my entire year for my um, progress monitoring that I just do the three times. So I am not a paper flipper. I just want everything on one, one page. So if we're I feel like we just use so much paper and I mean, I'd like to be better and I'm no environmentalist, but come on, the amount of paper we waste just kills me. So trying to keep it down to one page is the least I can do. Yeah, that's super helpful. Um, and because you have those data sheets in your Teachers Pay Teachers store, right? I do. So I have them in my store and then they come with um, printable stimuli. So you can put a page in front of the child and they can just read through the words and look at the pictures. But I also made it as like an interactive PDF. So you can pull it up on your iPad and they just, and I've kept it real simple. Like there's not a ton of buttons or anything, but they can just swipe through the pictures and it has the picture real big in a word. They like it because it's on the iPad, you know? So that means apparently it's a game, even though they're literally just swiping pictures, but Hey, whatever works and it moves really quickly because I don't have to facilitate it. I typically let them swipe through themselves. If they're moving too fast, I just let them know to slow down and and I can get through. I mean, I can easily do an entire group of four kids working on R in under a session if they're all pretty on track. And I tell them, hey, this is not going to be the world's most thrilling therapy session but it has to be done. We only do this three times a year. So we can get through this in one session. We're, we're done. So um, most of them buy into that and, and we get it done and, and move on with therapy. Yeah. And I, I have the, I have that articulation. I forget what it's called, um, but I have that progress monitoring kit. Yeah. I think it's, <laughs> I think it's literally it's called beautiful. like the ultimate progress monitoring kit. I mean, it's, it, I can't remember exactly what I've labeled it, but it's pretty self-explanatory. So. Yeah. And it's just like, you, you definitely have a knack for design. And so Thank it's you. just like, I don't know. I feel like, especially when it comes to, well, I kind of enjoy progress monitoring because I get like, I geek out about the data, um, but it makes it like even that much more exciting when it's just like something that's beautiful to look at. So oh, and it's just so I easy. I'm with you. Like I geek out about it now that I have a good system, right? <laughs> Whereas before it just overwhelmed me. But now it's like, yeah, you go back to something um, exactly four months later and you're, you're seeing little check or little pluses where before there were little minuses. And it's just so nice to see it because you're, it's so easy to see. You're comparing apples to apples. And with some of my older kids, I have them charted and I don't know. No, I totally agree. I geek out over it too. And when you keep it simple like that, it's just, oh, it just makes your life so much better. <laughs> yeah. And there's nothing like seeing those minuses turn into pluses mm -hmm. over the year. <laughs> totally uh, so agree. I do like that one 
one sheet for the year idea. Mm-hmm. That, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and then since I love organization, I feel like I have to jump into um, – and I assume you just keep the uh, the sheets just in a binder and then you would just flip through those or do you keep them in individual folders? Um, I yeah, I have actually, it's funny, I, this is one thing I switched this year. I used to just file them after I collected it at those times back in their folders. But then I was like, why am I continuing to file these just to pull them out again in four months? So now I have a folder in my filing cabinet right at the front of all the kids' folders. It just says progress monitoring. So all their data sheets are in there. And they'll stay there until the end of the year. And then I'll put them in their folders. But no, I was like three times a year. I was pulling them out and putting them back in. And I was like, wait a second. This this doesn't make any sense. So um, this is actually, I think this is the first semester. I had this like aha moment and thought, wait a second. Um, So now I just throw them in a a folder. And um, like I said, they'll all be there ready for me in May or June. And what about your data sheets? The data sheets. um, So... I um I don't have like daily folders for my kids or anything. So I just have um like a you know one of the hanging file folders and they I make a real quick kind of cover sheet so to speak that has each of the kids and their goals on it that came straight from their progress reports just to make sure that I'm always kind of like reminding myself what you know what ultimate goal we're working on. Um and then the data sheets are just stapled. So each group has a packet. Um, and then if I have materials or something I'm using for them, I will just paper clip them to the back of that and they just get filed. Perfect. Yeah. I'm pretty minimalist as far as, uh, keeping papers around for data collection and stuff. If you can't tell, I just, I just can't stand it. <laughs> yeah. It definitely adds a lot of clutter because we have like all the data sheets and all the paperwork that we might have pending plus the therapy papers. And it's just, it's a lot. So anything to minimize that is. It is. And like, and I don't, and you know, I would obviously keep all the sheets I needed to if I felt like having them made it better. But I honestly think it makes it worse for me when I'm trying to write those progress reports and I have to flip through, you know, so many things. It's just so much harder. And now like I can usually just look at one side of my daily data notes and one page of my progress monitoring and I can very quickly and easily write up a progress note that has a lot of great information in it. So um, yeah, more, more is not always better. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and then I meant to ask too, with your data at the very beginning of each session, mm-hmm. do you pick one goal or how do you decide what you're taking data on? Yeah, I typically pick one goal per session. Um, I have a lot of articulation kids on my caseload, more so than language. Um, So yeah, we're typically only working on, you know, one speech sound in a session. So that part's easy. Um, For language, it kind of depends on honestly what I have planned that day as far as activities. So if I'm going to do, I don't know, some irregular plurals and I don't know, some pronouns, I might collect data on both. Um, or I might collect data on one, see how we go time-wise, and then do the data probe on the other one as we move into that. So um, yeah, but I typically only do one per session. I mean, you know how it is. Like we only have 30 minutes. So depending on what I'm targeting, that's usually what I collect data on. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and then another question that always comes up is how do you manage data collection with mixed groups. So if you have like three or four kids sitting in front of you, like you're obviously collecting data on one student at a time, 
Like what are, do you have any strategies to help that run smoothly and like what do the kids do while they're waiting? Yeah. So, I mean, for me, so much of that comes in the planning for the session anyway. And like I said, I collect that data on, well, if you're talking about the daily data, you know, I often am using stimuli straight from the activity. So I've already picked, you know, whatever stimuli it is or whatever activity, and I'll go through that. And as I said, I keep it so quick that it's not even a question of what the other kids do during that time. Like they all know they've got, you know, if there's four kids in a group, they've got one minute and 30 seconds. They just have to sit there and be quiet while I do the data. And then we'll move on to our fun activity, you know, and they learn pretty quickly. If we can't get through it, then they have less time in their game. So there's that. Um, For the progress monitoring at the end of the session or, you know, that I do intermittently. Now that one sometimes does take a little bit longer. If I have, this is going to sound complicated. And I, I, it's one of those things verbally feel like it's going to sound confusing, but if I am using my progress monitoring kit with the stimuli on the iPad, if I've got say like two R kids and two S kids in a group, I will try to get my hands on two iPads and I'll have one, like one pair switching one iPad and one pair switching the other, and I'll have them do 20 at a time. So they do 20 words and then I move on to the next kid and do 20 words. And then once they get to the end, we start over, but start at the other person. So they're like alternating which stimuli they do. And I know it sounds super complicated, but it's really not. So basically by the end of it, you know, they've all done all the words with their sounds in them and they've only had to sit quietly for, you know, maybe a minute at a time. Um, and again, I know I said before, it's just one of those days that's not super fun, right? It, it is what it is. There's no gains, there's no antics, um, but I think most of them, if the expectations there, can can handle it for one day. And they know typically in the next session, we'll do something a little bit more interactive and fun. But hey, it's three times a year, it's gotta be done. And you know, if we can get through it in one session, then, then so be it. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a good skill to work on too. Yeah, totally. <laughs> it's an important life skill to be able to sit and be quiet and wait patiently. Um, So we get to practice that in speech too. I agree. But I also think from the standpoint of the SLP, acknowledging to them, like, I know that the session is going to suck a little bit. Like, sorry about that. I recognize that. I think that that goes a long way, right? Like rather than having them come in and you pretending (laughs) like this is the most thrilling thing ever and being frustrated that they're bored, you know, so we all know it's boring, but it has to be done. And I think if we can all get on the same page with that, the kids and I, then we kind of just have this mutual understanding, you know, it's not all that thrilling for me either. So yeah, no, that, and I think just being able to commiserate is, Mm -hmm. is that goes a very long way. So that's perfect. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so you've told us a little bit about this already, um, in terms of like, the articulation, like you have your set stimulus items that you use three times a year. And if you're working on like in the daily data, you use just whatever um, you're using in the session. Um, Do you have any favorite tools that you like to use for the language goals when it comes to that, um, like that three times a year progress monitoring? You know what? I don't. And it's been on my list of, of something to do is to create some similar um, types of things for language. But I, I do have so many fewer language kids on my caseload. Um, and I also just find, for me at least, their their goals are also vastly different. So so that one I do 
honestly on a really case by case basis. And I don't have as well set up of a system as far as what probes I'm using. I do try to kind of keep the same theoretical um, plan about it where I think in you know September, what can I use right now that's really going to measure um, their progress in this? So if that is, I'm just thinking of one example. So I have like a um, irregular plurals puzzle and it's just like a simple puzzle. I think it came probably from some old reading curriculum and it just happened to be at one of my schools when I got there. But it's great because it has a whole bunch of irregular plural words. So that may be like the task I use as my progress monitoring. And I may not use that same task again until I progress monitor again in January. Um, so I do really collect data for my language kids on a case by case basis. But I try to keep that same idea of keep being consistent with whatever I use to measure in September is the same thing I use to measure in January is the same thing I use to measure in June. And then that way I can really see their progress. Um, and then that thing, whatever it may be that I use to measure is typically almost completely excluded from materials I use to teach throughout the rest of the time. Yeah, I that makes sense. And like I said before too, like when you're setting up your caseload at the beginning of the year or when you're writing an IEP, it's really helpful to be able to identify what you're going to use and just make a note of that or attach it, like add it to that folder with all the other progress monitoring stuff. Um, because then it's not even a question. You're just ready to go. Um, and like, I agree that language is a little, because the goals can vary so much. It's not as easy as like the articulation. Like it would be lovely if it all fit into a nice oh, little box right? like that. <laughs> even kids, um, even kids with the same, the same, you know, quote unquote, the same goal, you know, they're all kind of, sometimes they struggle with it in a different way or, um, you know, have difficulty with different examples of that. So yeah, I, I definitely, language is a little bit harder and I have, an, I have few enough on my caseload that doing it on a really case by case basis isn't too big of a deal for me. Um, and you know, I'm also reporting on progress reports, those things a little bit differently, right? Like to me, they take just a little bit more, not that they can't be reported in numbers because they can, but to me, they take just that little bit more explanation of exactly what they're doing and what this looks like when they're speaking um, more so than like, you know, they say S about 50% of the time and words independently, you know, that's relatively self-explanatory. So mm -hmm. yeah, that definitely makes sense. Um, and then speaking of the more like, because I feel like that's the more subjective aspect of what we do. Um, and it's just like really being able to describe things. Do you have any strategies that you like to use when like when tackling that in progress reports like I guess you would just be looking back at your data sheets to see yeah I mean and that's like. what it is and that's why I think I you know when I presented on this topic at um the Florida the flash of the CEU on the cruise I really talked about sort of these two methods of data collection and there's daily data collection and then intermittent progress monitoring. But one thing I probably at that point didn't make as good of a point is that I combine the two, right? I do both and they both can serve a purpose. So they're not mutually exclusive. Um, you know, I think depending on what your data requirements are from your district, you may be able to use just one. But for me, it's a really good fit to use both. And I typically keep that progress monitoring 
um, that happens infrequently, like really, really independent. And if that means they're, they're zero percent to measuring periods in a row, like I'm okay with that. So think about those kids who just started R, you know, they, they take, some of them take well more than four months to get a true R. So if I got them for the first time in September and I collected data on their initial R, I mean, it's zero percent. And if independently, i.e. they're just literally looking at a picture and saying that saying these are words, if they're still at 0% independently in January, that doesn't concern me. But what I want is some daily data that shows how they performed with support or with feedback or with cues or with prompts, right? Because I don't want to just say they they went from zero to zero independently. I want to say, right. So they still can't say it independently and that's okay, but look what they can do now. Now, if I give them a model and I remind them about their tongue placement and I give them a visual cue, they're at 70% in the initial position of single words. So being able to use both the um, intermittent progress monitoring and then that daily data collection, that really helps with some of those more subjective things. Plus, I often just make notes on my daily things. Um, You know, oh, I tried the L to R slide that was really effective. Or today they did a really nice job not rounding their lips, those kinds of things. So I do make notes like that um, outside of just my numerical data. And those often make it into progress reports just to be supportive of the families and the kids and the progress they are making, even when the numbers don't always show it, as you know, is the case, unfortunately. Yeah. And I'm so glad that you broke that down and talked about why you include both types of data. Because um, I think that's incredibly important, and I feel like that, like it definitely applies to R and some of the like that can happen with some of the other articulation sounds. But I feel like it's especially applicable when it comes to some of the language aspects too. Um, like I, <laughs> when you were describing that, I kept thinking back to like when I was in the autism preschool. Um, that was something that would happen a lot. Like they wouldn't be doing things independently, but at the beginning of the year, they would need a tremendous amount of support. And then by like the second reporting period, they could do all these things with like just a verbal prompt versus hand over hand to all of those things. And that is still indicative of progress. And I'm so glad that you broke that down. So I think that's Yeah, absolutely. There's, um, yeah, I mean, right. There's so many increments to progress. And I know I always refer to R, but I feel like it's, first of all, I think it's one of those things that almost all SLPs are, are struggling with, but um, you can also tell what a large majority of my caseload is working on. But I do think R in particular has so many steps, you know, when you're shaping from just say a W to their true R, um, more so than I feel like these other, these other sounds do. I mean, I don't feel like there are as many incremental steps between F and TH as one example, right? Um, But R, I mean, there are just so many little steps along the way and I want to be able to report report that progress. So um, yeah, I mean, for some of the kids that are really struggling with it, I will make it a short-term goal. This isn't like an official short-term goal, but I'll kind of write it in my notes that I'm accepting any production, any production that is not a W. And I do not care if it sounds like an L and I do not care what it sounds like, but it, if, it, if it is not a W, they are getting cheers and claps and applause, right? Because that is the first step 
for me, getting away from that W. So, um, and the same thing, like when I'm using some strategies that they produce an R that sounds more like an L, I mean, I tell them what a great job they did because at least that means they're finally moving their tongue, right? <laughs> Instead of it sitting on the bottom of their mouth, if they made an L, that means they're moving their tongue, they're getting it toward the roof of their mouth and they're like in the right direction. So, hey, they get praise for that and I'm calling that a win for the day. But again, that goes back to deciding what you're going to collect data on at the beginning of your session. So it's okay to collect data for me on anything that's not a W, but I have to define that and I have to write it down so that when I refer back to it, I know that, yeah, they were 90% on anything that wasn't a W, right? That doesn't mean they got 90% R's. That just means only 10% of them were W. So um, that's something I definitely work with my students on is just, yeah, taking that moment to define what you're working on and what you're measuring. And within reason, I think measuring almost anything within the course of one day is, is fine. And that's where we're going to get that subjective data that's going in that progress report. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then a follow-up question too, like, cause I feel like I've read a lot of notes where it'll just say, uh, gave, min cues or min support or min mod or like, and I feel like that's not incredibly transparent in terms of what actually happened in the session. So do you have like a strategy or any kind of system in terms of how you're describing what you're doing in the session? Like one example you said was like the L, um, like the slide that that was like a helpful strategy. Uh, like I think getting super specific like that makes sense. But do you have any other kind of strategies or how do you typically approach that? So for, I mean, that's one of the reasons that I try to keep in many cases, you know, that those daily data probes as um, independent as possible, right? Because you take that gray area out of exactly how did you obtain um, that data or what, what was that data really showing? So that's one reason I just try to keep it as minimal as possible as far as my input is concerned. Yeah. So I think that's like, that's a question that comes up a lot too. Like, but I write support in my goals. Like, how do I do that? And so I think that like we should, like, I think it makes sense to write a goal without support because that's, it's really clear how that's going to be measured. Any SLP could measure it. And like, there's ways to adjust the goal so that it's still achievable, like it might just be at a simpler level, like saying R in isolation versus R in sentences, for example. Absolutely. Um, but then I was curious about just the data in, or like when you're taking your subjective notes in the session, like how, do you have any tips or strategies for how you're describing your support? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I do still keep it as simple as possible. So I kind of consider, did I give them a model? Yes or no. And then the other thing I consider, and I think this gets forgotten a lot. So like you said, some people are writing min cues or maybe even writing independently. But the question I always have is if someone's writing independently, so say they're giving words with or without a model and the child is supposedly producing them independently. The question I always have is, did you give them feedback? So I think sometimes people write independently, but they're telling the child after each production, yeah, you got that one or, oh, can you fix it? And whether or not they mark that one that was corrected as correct or not, 
you know, feedback is, is a type of cue that you're giving, right? It impacts their performance on any production that comes after it. So to me, there's a huge difference between giving 10 productions with no feedback and giving 10 productions where you're telling them after each or after some, whether or not they got it correct. Right. And so sometimes I know I've seen people write, oh, they did it with a model independently, but they gave feedback. And they're calling it independent because they didn't give a cue before they elicited each response. But giving a feedback after a response is really the same thing. So that's like the one thing I always want to sort of point out is that feedback really is a type of input that you're giving them, even though it comes after the stimulus. But um, going back to the question, I think I sort of try to keep it simple. Did I give them a model? Did I give them feedback? And then did I give them some sort of verbal cue. Most of my kids are responsive to a pretty simple verbal cue. You know, I only have kindergarten through fifth grade. I don't have a lot of preschoolers. I'm not doing a lot of like tactile cueing, um, that kind of thing. So, and all that other stuff really is coming during that teaching period where I'm not heavily collecting the data. So when I am collecting data, yeah, I just, I just try to keep it kind of those three things, model, yes or no, feedback, yes or no, verbal cue, yes or no. So a verbal cue might literally look like, okay, we're going to do this. Don't forget to get your tongue back, wrap it. Um, and that would be it. So yeah, I, I do avoid use of minimal, mod moderate, or like max cueing because as you said, it's really open to interpretation. Yeah. And I, th I like how you said it before, like the student benefits from like this type of cue or like this specific verbal prompt because like different students will respond to different ones differently. So if, if, or if they respond to like, uh, you making a gesture of like how their tongue is supposed to move, like that could, that's helpful for the next SLP to know, or for us to remember when we're jumping into the next session to set them up for success. Um, so I think that's a very useful and meaningful way to set that up. And it's incredibly transparent um, because yeah, it's super clear what that means. Oh yeah. I mean, you've got to write down those, those little tricks that did or didn't help because as you know, we're trying in so many cases, we're trying so many of them. So it's like, you know, did that L to R slide works? So, you know, sometimes telling the kids to smile works like a charm and sometimes it, it makes it worse. So, um, yeah, writing down those little, those little notes, save you a ton of time in your next session, trying to figure the same thing out again. Ooh, yeah. And I like the point of writing what didn't work too. Yes. yes. That can be helpful as well. <laughs> I probably have a few session notes that say like, do not bother trying <laughs> X. Yeah. Well, it does save time. We got to mm -hmm. work smarter. <laughs> uh, okay. Awesome. So I think that was a super helpful overview of how you set things up and just some really actionable just really simple tips that I think can make a really big difference. Um, is there anything that you wanted to close with or anything you wanted to emphasize before we wrap up? No, I mean, nothing we haven't talked about, but I, I would say that, yeah, I mean, if I could emphasize one thing, it would just be that more data points does not mean better data. It certainly doesn't mean better therapy, um, but it doesn't mean better data. So just really give yourself permission to to take less data, but, you know, take that moment to think about it. So it's more meaningful and useful to you. Um, because yeah, I mean, having 200 data points that mean nothing, 
probably means you aren't as present as you could have been during that session and you still don't have data to help you write your progress reports or all the other things that data is great for. So yeah, give yourself permission to collect a little bit less data. That would be my one takeaway. I love it. And that definitely makes a ton of sense, like everything else that you've said during this podcast. <laughs> um, so thank you so much for sharing all of your uh, tips and tricks with us today. I definitely walked away with some new ones myself. Um, so I so appreciate you. And um, if SLPs are interested in checking out any of the things that we talked about during the podcast, they can head to slpnow.com slash 43. Um, and I'll also include some links uh, in case SLPs want to connect with you. Um, so where are your favorite places to hang out in the online world? Yeah. So Instagram, I am reasonably active on. Um, I would say that's probably the best place, best place to reach out to me would be on Instagram. That's just at Kiwi Speech. Um, I do also have a Facebook page. I'm just not there as much. Yeah. And you have like super helpful content on there. Um, so it's definitely, if you liked what Kristen shared today, and if you're as obsessed with her materials and design as I am, <laughs> uh, you definitely want to hang out with her on Instram. Um, but yeah, thank you so much, Kristen. Again, thank so you so incredibly much. I appreciate helpful. it. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And we'll see you next time. <laughs> Bye. Thanks for listening to the SLP Now podcast. This podcast is part of a course offered for continuing education through Speech Therapy PD. So yes, you can earn ASHA CEUs for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with your SLP friends. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast to get the latest episodes sent directly to you. See you next time.